you know, the premise is that if you give art your time, it's going to give you something really valuable in return. And so I'm kind of looking at these albums and these lyrics and, you know, as kind of scripture and asking like, you know, what can we take from these great resources and apply to our own everyday lives? You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to It's All Dead. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm Kyle Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com. And uh, it is Monday, November 5th, as we record this. Um, and I'm pretty excited about this episode today. And I say that a lot, but and I always mean it. But this episode is very cool um, because last year um, I was really into a podcast uh, that had kind of become my my favorite podcast. And I had uh, reached out to the host of that podcast and had him on this very show. And in the course of a little over a year, um, a lot of amazing things have happened with that podcast. And it uh, felt like it was worth reaching back out. So I did. And uh, we are having Cole Kushner back on the podcast today. Um, He is the host of Dissect, um, breaks down albums track by track each week. And since we spoke, last year dissect was picked up by spotify uh you can now stream the the podcast there actually a week in advance of anywhere else that you can listen to it um he's completed a whole new season season three of the show uh uh, featuring frank ocean he's won multiple awards uh been featured in numerous publications and dissect was named one of time magazine's best podcasts of 2018 so all these things have happened and cole still was cool enough to come back on our little podcast, which I think is amazing. And he is here today. Cole, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to talk about a a number of things today, including, of course, uh, what's happened with Dissect, and we'll talk Frank Ocean and uh, and Lauren Hill as well, um, as I know you're kicking off a a mini-series around the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Before we get into all that, uh, to start us off, what are you more excited about or what do you feel better about? Not uh, doing Yeezus for season three or the hot start that the Sacramento Kings are off to at the uh, beginning of this young NBA season. <laughs> uh, I definitely got to go with the Kings. Um, I'm, a bu- I'm a big basketball fan and their start has been surprising to say the least. Um, <laughs> and I actually have season tickets this year for the first time. So it's exciting that they're actually decent and I get to go to a lot of games this year. Very cool. Do you, do you think it's going to hold steady? Do they have a chance at the playoffs? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're you're staying grounded then. Um, yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, uh, your first dissect season with Spotify is in the books, as I mentioned. Um, I want to ask you, what's changed for you in the past year? And what was different going into the production of this season three of Dissect? Because I, I mean, it, it seems like it kind of leveled up in so many different ways. But I'm wondering from your perspective, what were the biggest changes that happened? Yeah. They, well, I mean, the biggest change was that I got to quit my job and do this full time. So yeah. before I was, you know, season one and season two of Dissect were, um, you know, produced while I was had a day job and also have a family. So it was, you know, a lot of long sleepless nights and blah, 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 blah to get it done. Um, but yeah, with the Spotify thing, it's been great. It's, you know, again, full time job now is just to create Dissect. So I'm able to do um, more content, hopefully more, you know, valuable content and, um, you know, 
the backing helps in terms of marketing and and reach and just a lot of stuff that comes with the kind of Spotify push. So um, yeah. it's all it's been good. That's awesome. And uh, it's it's such a cool story uh, getting to see kind of, and anybody that's listened to Dissect for a while kind of knows the story of how you started this and how you've been doing it. So it's really just one of those amazing things to see happen. Um, I'm wondering how did the arrangement with Spotify come about? And I mean, I, I know you kind of mentioned the the marketing piece that you get from them and obviously kind of expands your reach. What, has there any been anything that's been, I guess, particularly fun or exciting about getting to work with Spotify on this podcast? Yeah, I mean, well, I answered the first part, which was, um, you know, how did I join with them? That was pretty natural, actually. I mean, there was some definitely some interest from sources um, throughout season two is when the show really took off. And so I was getting some calls from various people interested in the show. Spotify had the best kind of offer for a number of reasons. Um, The biggest one was like it was going to be a full time gig which was kind of a requirement at that point. Cause I didn't know if the show could really go on in the way it was. It yeah. was just like super hard on my life. Um, just, I was exhausted. So um, that was a big part of it, but also like I really believed in their vision. Um, they are taking, you know, big aggressive steps to enter the podcasting space in a very real way and sustaining way. Um, the music, you know, my being a music podcast, it, is a natural fit in that, in that regard, also the resources and um, specifically to the music industry was very attractive. Um, So going forward, you know, I picked Frank Ocean, of course, for the the season with first season with Spotify and he's pretty much untouchable by anyone. doesn't matter who you are. So hopefully in seasons four and beyond, I'll be able to actually utilize some of the, you know, artist relationships that Spotify has and get, you know, the goal is that I get, you know, an artist to talk about his music on dissect. So, um, that's kind of the next, um, benchmark we're shooting for, for the next season. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that'll be really awesome to see that play out. And in terms of the Spotify relationship, I mean, it seems like this is where podcasting is going. If we even look a few years ago in terms of how people were consuming podcasts, it just keeps evolving and growing and changing. Uh, I saw some, I mean, there's, there's a pretty large percentage of regular podcast listeners that are now getting their podcasts from Spotify. Where do you foresee the podcast industry kind of evolving over the next several years here? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely still in its experimental phase right now. I think everyone's you know, the first step in this kind of podcasting revolution was just to prove its permanency as an, as a platform, you know, it it was hard to know if it was like a flash in the pan or, you know, kind of the sustainability of this medium. But I think it's been proven now that uh, it's here to stay. And you can see that in, you know, the, you know, year over year increases in consumption across, you know, all audiences, the amount of people getting into podcasting, you know, the money, uh, ad revenue increasing year over year. So I think yeah. it's definitely proven its case in terms of, uh, it's here to stay, but, um, and you know, I, I have kind of guesses of where it could go, but I don't know if anyone precisely knows right now. I think you're going to yeah. see a lot of players like Spotify getting into the game aggressively. Um, but as you saw with like the recent, who was it that just kind of pulled out of content creation uh, panoply, like they just pulled out of podcasting. So I think everyone's kind of dipping their toes in and seeing if it's, you know, something they can utilize. But 
I think it's only going to grow. And I think, you know, there's a lot of room for it to grow. You know, yeah. people like my mom don't really know what a podcast is. At least if I didn't have one, she wouldn't know what it is. So it's like sure. until like an older generation is, you know, starts consuming and it kind of becomes like a household thing, which it kind of is now, but not quite to the level that it could be. I think you're just going to see a lot of experimentation and a lot of more, a lot more players. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's, it's a fascinating space to watch. And as somebody that's done it both for personal uh, reasons and, you know, podcasted for a brand, I mean, there's certainly, a, it requires a full buy-in uh, across an organization that kind of has a focus on what the content is, what the purpose of it is, and what you're trying to achieve. And it, it seems like uh, uh, Dissect has found a really great match with Spotify. So it's been really cool to, to watch all that happen. Um, now talking about the actual content, um, of dissect, I want to talk a little bit about Frank ocean, but before we get into that, uh, you just recently, I believe last week, uh, launched into your new mini series on Lauren Hill. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. just went up, uh, Tuesday, the August or October 30th, um, is where you can get it on Spotify. It'll be on all platforms tomorrow, which is November 5th, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm pretty excited about the launch. Um, it's you know a different approach for a couple of reasons. I guess the biggest difference is it's a mini series. Past seasons have been anywhere from sixteen to twenty-two episodes. This is going to be eight episodes with one bonus episode. So it's a it's a more condensed um, version of dissect. But I'm pretty excited about the content. Um, it was a, it was kind of a fun experiment for me to to see if I can condense the form a little bit without sacrificing too much of the, you know, the detail, which I think I was able yeah. to do. It also was able, I was able to, I guess the big question for me was, you know, can I go back in time 20 years? Um, albeit with a classic album, but you know, mm -hmm. can I go back in time 20 years and do a dissection of a, you know, it's still contemporary, but you know, not as contemporary as a Frank ocean, um, and see if people were still interested and I thought a mini series would be a good kind of start and just kind of see if that's um, something people are interested in. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's only a weekend, so it's hard to, to tell right now, but um, it's, it's fun and it's a great album. Um, it's a timeless album and I, I've had a, right. a lot of fun digging into it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the miseducation of Lauren Hill definitely holds a, a mystique and I, I've, you know, read several kind of great pieces about it this year as it's turning 20 years old. What's made it interesting for you to dissect from a musical standpoint? Obviously, it has the hip hop element that you've uh, been exploring over the past few seasons. But I mean, there's funk, there's soul, there's like so many different types of, of genre that are kind of a part of, of this album. What's what's been the most interesting part of it to you? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, the, I guess. And I think this ties back into like why it's, a, you know, a revered classic album is that, you know, someone can go in and I'm sure a lot of people have gone in and said, you know, I want to do hip hop, reggae, gospel, soul, you know, all these influences that you hear in miseducation. But what makes Lauren's album special is that when you get to know her childhood and her upbringing, you realize that these influences are embedded in who she is. And that's why she's able to so seamlessly kind of fuse them together without yeah. it sounding like trite. She was raised on, you know, soul music of the 60s, doo-wop music of the 50s. Um, you know, she recorded a lot of the album in Jamaica. So that's where the reggae influences come in. 
Um, and she was married to, or she was engaged to Rowan Marley at the time, who was Bob yeah. Marley's son. So it's like, and then of course the hip hop element, which was there from the Fugees. So it was, it's, you know, that for me was to tie it with, uh, the, the musical output with her, you know, personal story was probably the biggest discover One of the biggest discoveries I made this season. I didn't really know that going in, but yeah. now that I learned that and, you know, analyze the music so deeply, it makes all the sense in the world. Why? it came out as naturally as it, as it does on the album, because it's just a very pure, potent, natural expression of who she is. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, really excited to, to hear this, uh, this series you're doing progress. One of the things I was thinking about, you know, obviously this album, a, a lot of the mystique it holds not only from being a great album, but because the fact that we're still waiting for what Lauren Hill would do next. And, you know, if you look at her career in terms of like, whether it be the MTV Unplugged performance, whether it be some of the live stuff she'd done, it's almost been like she's been going back and constantly tweaking and evolving miseducation of Lauren Hill as an art piece. And I'm wondering if that struck a resemblance for you. I mean, obviously when I, when I see something like that, I think of a Kanye with the life of Pablo or even a Frank Ocean to some extent. I mean, are those parallels that have stuck out to you as well in terms of, again this group of artists who kind of have this this similarity yeah i think yeah definitely in some ways um i think it's it's contrasts with kanye and frank in that you know she was meticulous in the studio but it definitely doesn't seem like not to the degree of a kanye or a frank um mm -hmm. but i think you know her tweaking it over time is definitely interesting one is because she doesn't have a lot of material to work with or at least yeah. published material to work with. But the interesting thing about that perspective is that it's almost like a jazz artist where it's like mm -hmm. they're playing jazz standards that have been played and regurgitated over, you know, 20, 30 years, but it's like they're able to make it fresh and new through different instrumentation, tempo, changing the key signature, like different things to like re-express this song. And I think she's, taking the same approach with her own music. And that's why she's able to tour 20 years later. And, you know, I went and saw her just two months ago and it was fantastic. Mm. It was really great. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, a great album. And uh, again, looking forward to kind of following this mini series as it uh, progresses this fall. Um, going back uh, to, you know, again, just wrapping up season three of Dissect on, on Frank Ocean. Now that the, you know, all the episodes are done, everything's out, you're away from it now. What, uh, I guess, was your experience in dissecting Channel Orange and Blonde and proved, I guess, most fascinating or maybe stuck with you the most now that you're um, further away from it? Yeah, there's a lot of discoveries there. You know, it was different for me personally than season one and two because I was, you know, big fans of Kendrick and Kanye going in. I was a fan of Frank Ocean going in, but I wasn't not definitely not to the degree that I was fan of Kanye and Kendrick. And it was mostly by the persistence of dissect listeners that I chose Frank Ocean, um, mm. which I'm a hundred percent glad I did because once I really yeah. dove in, it was, you know, I felt kind of dumb not having realized like all the, how great this music was and how intricate it was. Um, so I guess the, the biggest first, like kind of first realization was that, yeah, this is just really, really meticulous more than you might suspect on, you know, first or second listen, the stories he's able to tell, especially on channel orange of these like 
kind of third person narrations of people's lives that, you know, are fictionalized, but have these very, very potent messages um, without losing like listenability. And then with Blonde, you know, I was, I really admired, you know, this early, it's kind of like Kendrick's tip of a butterfly. It's like very early in his career, he kind of took this left turn and made it, you know, what is a pretty experimental album in Blonde, Um, you know, sonically, the production is just incredible and it's it's kind of counterintuitive because it's such a minimal sounding album but when you really start to dig into it it's you realize that every sound has its place and it you know must have taken 50 versions to land on the one that he did because everything is just so meticulously placed and and perfectly aligned so i think production was one thing that was really stuck out stuck out in blonde um and of course just like the expressiveness of his soul i guess on mm-hmm. his music is just like undeniable and once it's kind of gets under your skin it's hard for it to leave I, you know i still listen to blonde almost weekly and i haven't tired of it even mm-hmm. though i've studied it for the past six months it's just yeah. it's incredible and it's one of those albums that even now i'm still discovering like new things in it and it's just that i think it's just that intricate so yeah. a lot of, lot of discoveries for sure that's really cool. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm not alone and that I, probably my favorite thing about uh, dissect both past seasons and this one is I feel like it just, it's almost like when you're playing a game and there's certain things that kind of unlock new features and change the gameplay. That's kind of what dissect is for me is that I already loved blonde and channel orange, but now I'm going back and listening to those. And it's almost like listening with new ears and, and kind of experiencing these things that were there all along, but I wasn't in tune with until um, kind of going through the season. And really one of my favorite parts of the season nights is my favorite track on blonde. And of course I was awaiting that episode. And when it came, it definitely did not disappoint because you kind of had this whole thing of um, in investigating how nights has the central moment. That's actually the exact central moment of the entire album. And you made this really compelling case about what that meant just overall, Uh, with what Frank is doing with this album. And I'm listening to that. I'm thinking like, is is this the type of thing that you uncover? Like you're already several episodes in and you're working on this and you have this aha moment. Or do you like go in like recording episode one, kind of already knowing the trajectory of everything that's going to happen? No, I mean, in every season of Dissect, I'd go in knowing, I wouldn't say nothing because I've listened to the albums, of course, and I've, you know, validated that they deserve to be dissected. But I would say that the majority 80% is unknown. And like when you hear me making discoveries on the show, it's typically me making discoveries like in real time. You know, it's only until I've sit down with these episodes that or these songs and create the episodes that I, you know, I mean, that's the time that I allow myself to dissect or sit with the music for that long a time. Like I don't typically listen to music, just sit there, you know, study the lyrics, study the production, you know, that's not typically how I listen to music. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the fun part for me is like picking an album on intuition and some education, but then just sitting down with it and like, you know, what are you going to tell me? Like you kind of just ask, you're kind of just putting yourself in the position to make a discovery that's already there and you're just there to kind of uncover it. And so, you know, it's really just, about taking the time and that's you know to hear you say that you know it's kind of unlocking the levels is great to hear because that's what the show is for it's really music appreciation hopefully at its finest in that yeah 
you're, we're sitting together on one album, 13, 14 hours or whatever it ends up being throughout the season. And just like, let's just give this album, this great work of art, our time. And, you know, the premise is that if you give art your time, it's going to give you something really valuable in return. And so I'm kind of looking at these albums and these lyrics and, you know, as kind of scripture and asking right. like, you know, what can we take from these great resources and apply to our own everyday lives? And, you know, that usually returns, uh, you know, great returns on that. Yeah. Very cool. That's, that's gotta be such an exciting moment for you when you kind of find something new, like right in the moment doing an episode, that's, uh, such a fun thing to hear. Um, you know, connecting again, Frank Ocean and Lauren Hill, I, to me, they kind of carry a similarity in that they're pretty ambiguous artists and uh, kind of uh, have a shrouded nature, I guess, around their art. Is that something that you admire? Or, you know, because I know you, again, starting the Frank Ocean uh, series this year, kind of focused a lot on like what what's going to happen? When is new music going to arrive? Is that something that you enjoy? Or you like the rest of us where you kind of like want more uh, output from these artists or maybe you even find yourself somewhere in between? Yeah. I mean, I'm always like, I'm always going to give the artist the benefit of the doubt. And I'm always going to, tr if they've delivered us something special in the past, I'm going to give them the benefit of doubt to deliver something special in the future. However long that takes, I don't really care. Like, you know, maybe I get antsy, but I guess the older that I get and you know, the more experience I have with things like dissect, it's not, I don't really, you know, I don't, don't lose my patience when it comes to that stuff because I want the artist yeah. to take, they need to experience life in order to create. So you don't want to rush that. They also need to take their time in terms of actually creating the art. Um, so you don't want to rush that either. So, you know, yeah. you, it, I, I get like why people get antsy and, you know, it's kind of like a meme, especially in the Frank culture or Frank ocean culture that, you know, they're always waiting for the next album. Right. Um, but you know, I, you just have to trust the great, the great artists of our time to do what they need to do to create something truly great. Um, yeah. But I guess like the main through line, I would say even more than the kind of obscurity. And this actually goes through all four seasons of dissect um, is kind of each artist perception and I guess interpretation of fame. So mm -hmm. like, starting with season one, you know, Kendrick Lamar's to pimp a butterfly was essentially him dealing with becoming successful and famous. Um, season two, my twist, dark twisted fantasy, Kanye West was the aftermath of when fame goes wrong. It was written, yeah. um, you know, kind of right after, um, the Taylor Swift thing and kind of everyone was at that point. Um, he was kind of a villain at that point. Uh, and a different reason than today. But um, so that was a creation, you know, of him dealing with the kind of the backlash of fame. Frank Ocean is this character that kind of saw the writing on the wall before he had to, you know, experience too much and just kind mm -hmm. of abandoned this idea of fame and celebrity and solely concentrates on his, on his art and his life. So I found that really interesting. And then Lauren Hill, of course, um, was a, you know, child star, um, very successful in the Fugees while she was still in high school and shortly after yeah. that, and then writes one of the best albums of all time when she's 22 years old and then kind of disappears, quote unquote, um, and still hasn't put out a you know studio album since. So to me, the, the fame and the celebrity and success thing is like the main through line. And 
I think I'm just kind of inherently have always been interested in that subject. Um, and it, I guess that kind of shows in my choices of who I dissect. Yeah, well, you definitely do a great job of, of breaking it down and, and providing context uh, to all that, because that that's that's a particular topic that's so easy to kind of uh, armchair quarterback, I guess, for lack of a better phrase in the moment. But um, it's so easy to kind of analyze how others handle fame or live in it. Um, but yet I, I feel like the context that you bring, uh, just kind of a, a humanness or a levity to it that really um, kind of helps uh, dig a little bit deeper than I think a lot of people are usually willing or interested in going on that particular subject. So it's kind of kind of cool to hear that. Yeah, I um, think, well, I think, and I think that the reason why, and I think it's particularly important in today's age where I think celebrity is probably at its peak, um, it we off we often we, the perspective is always of on the famous but who makes the famous famous it's like the millions of people like us that make them famous so mm -hmm. i'm way more interested in turning kind of that microscope around on us and you know examining our own mentalities of why we put these types of people on pedestals and if that's the right decision and if we're if we treat that these people correctly that we do elevate into these kind of higher echelons of, you know, culture. Um, yeah. So that's the interesting perspective to me, not so much. I mean, I'm definitely interested in how they've individually dealt with it, but I think it's much more interesting to kind of self-examine and, you know, challenge our own behaviors around celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And that is kind of a natural uh, lead in to my next question. And, you know, one of the things I, I think, and I, I heard a lot about um, from our, our last conversation on the podcast last year um, was the conversation we had about empathy. And it was something that you were really hammering home in season two uh, with Kanye. And, you know, I, and I'll be the first to say that uh, the place I was at at the end of season two of Dissect with Kanye and where I am right now are two very different places, um, which makes me question my own uh, limitations of, of my empathy and what that means for me. I, I wanted to ask you in a time where I guess our collective humanness and, and visibility into the lives of the artists that we love is more available than it's ever been. How do you stay balanced when approaching dissecting this art? I mean, do you view it as a challenge? Because you talked about you almost enjoy turning the microscope back on yourself. And I guess that makes a lot of sense in how you approach it. But also, I mean, for me, it gets hard at times. So uh, I mean, especially with the with the Kanye stuff. So um, I don't know. I, I don't guess I've asked a good question here. But how do you how do you approach that? Yeah, I it, I definitely tend to self-examine before I judge in general, I would say. Um, and I've learned that just through experience and time and just thinking hard about just I guess life in general and, and how we don't know the circumstances of others' lives. And I guess that that revelation really came in season one when I was dissecting, you know, Kendrick Lamar's To Pippa Butterfly and his, you know, story and, you know, being raised in Compton and essentially studying what he went through throughout his life and realizing that have I had, had met someone like Kendrick, I have, I had just had literally no reference point before that examination mm -hmm. of a, so that someone's life could be that. And I think you can take that central idea of like, you never know someone's story and apply it to about, you know, just about everyone in the world. So 
you start to see people's behaviors as expressions of their story. And if you never know someone's story, you can't really be too quick to judge someone's behavior. So yeah. I always try to take, when I'm approaching, you know, anyone, I try to take that approach as best as possible. You know, Kanye's, it's, he's such an interesting figure. And I think I've, it's hard for me to speak about him personally now because I just, I, I look at him almost like a artifact or something. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not really personally affected by what he does. Um, and if I was, I would, I would much rather judge myself why I felt that way. What about my personality makes me care so much about someone I don't know or have never met or don't really know their story um, more than I would question someone's behavior who is not being violent, who is not being, you know, maybe he's harming. Uh, I don't know. I really don't, I don't want to comment too much on what he's doing, but it's like he is not to me set himself into like a, uh, what's the word abusive environment, I guess, or like right. you know, he's not abusing Kim Kardashian physically. He's not like, he's not, he hasn't entered that world. So I'm kind of taking a step back approach. And with Kanye, I've learned you, it's really hard to understand them in the moment. And if you, if you usually kind of widen your scope, let it play out for six months you'll usually get a, a better sense of what he was is at least what his intentions were, whether or right. not he's pulling out, like pulling off his intentions successfully is another idea, but I'm also sure. very interested in intentions more than I am action a lot of the time. So, yeah. you know, Kanye is definitely, we can have a whole podcast about that, but right. I would say the the empathy thing is definitely something I've learned to take into my own life, like more often than not. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, it's something that you do a great job of uh, kind of conveying and certainly has been something that uh, has has caused me to uh, think deeply about some of those things. I'll, I'll end this particular portion of the conversation with a with an indictment on myself. You know, uh, this podcast and our website has spent a lot of time talking about Kanye West. And uh, when I was in college, the college dropout was an album that um, was very important for me. And a lot of it tied back uh, even beyond the art, but to the actual um, socially conscious message of what he was delivering at a time where you didn't really hear that on the radio or the, just mainstream media, I suppose. And that was a very important thing to me, which made some of the recent events very difficult for me to swallow um, when you start to kind of hold somebody um, to, uh, you know, on a, I don't know whether to call it putting on a pedestal or whatever else, but um, we just had Lindsay Zolads of The Ringer on the podcast, and she gave a really good explanation of this at a kind of being at a certain point, you have to stop projecting these expectations onto celebrities and really start living it out um, yourself in your day to day life. And I, I think there's a, a certain encouragement there to kind of um, use empathy in that way and kind of spur yourself to to take the action that you wish you saw in others so it's just a it's been an interesting year to kind of work through those things but uh it's a a, a conversation i'm continually fascinated by so thanks for sharing on that um when you're not you know obviously you've spent you spent all this time you know kind of entrenched in these albums when you're going through a season of dissect when you're not dissecting um i would imagine you're listening to some other music and uh, wondering if you'd be willing to share what some of your favorite albums were from 2018. Yeah. Um, the 
the one I probably listen to most is uh, John Hopkins. He put out, he's an electronic artist that put out this album called Singularity um, that is phenomenal. Um, I've been writing to it all year and I still put it on. I I forgot when it came out earlier this year for sure, but um, it's, if, have you heard of John Hopkins before? I have, yeah. Yeah, his, his last album was really great. This one, is phenomenal too. So that's the one I probably listen to the most. Um, Daytona Pusha T is a pretty phenomenal rap album. Um, There's a lot of music that came out this year. Um, Trying to think of any ones that other ones that come to mind. Well, I I know it just came out, but have you uh, listened to the new Vince Staples album? Yeah. I was just listening to that earlier today. It sounds, I only listened to it once, but it sounds good on first listen for sure. Yeah, it's definitely one that has a lot to it. Uh, there's a there's a lot to on first listen. It's like, wow, this is really good. And then the more you listen, it's like, oh my goodness, this is extremely powerful and important. Oh, <laughs> so, got it. Yeah, so I haven't a, got I haven't got there. I was just like vibing out. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I definitely need to listen with uh, more scrutiny on that one. Yeah. Do you? I know you've kind of spent a lot of time and dissect with uh, hip hop music, obviously, and you've made clear your your intent and reasoning behind that. Do you? I mean, is is hip hop? You mentioned Pusha T, and you've obviously listened to Vince Staples. I mean, is it in regular rotation for you? I mean, just as much as any other genre is when you're just on your free time. Yeah, it's it's definitely probably the majority at this point. Um, I think personally, I think that the most interesting things sonically are going on in hip hop right now. Um, combine that with like this, you know, the social message of a lot of, you know, the great contemporary works, I think is why I'm really interested in hip hop in this moment right now. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, I've always listened to hip hop, but it seems like in the last, I would say five years or so is when I really have primarily listened to hip hop because I mean, electronic had its moment, I guess. And I wouldn't say I'm like super well versed in every single genre, but I feel like, you know, rock and roll is definitely not what it used to be in my opinion even like alternative rock has kind of taken a a little bit of a backseat these days and so with hip-hop it's like really interesting because you have all these sub-genres being created and i don't really remember a time when so many hip-hop sub-genres existed simultaneously and getting like commercial success with them so um that's been really interesting to watch even just like we're in the time right now when kind of the old guard is figuring out how to have longevity in hip hop for the first time, since it is such a, like a unique or such a new art form, relatively speaking. So people like Jay-Z trying to figure out that avenue of like, how do you sustain not trying too hard to fit in with, you know, the trends of today, but also keeping your like, you know, unique voice, but not sounding dated. So Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in artists like that kind of, trudging that water for the first time so yeah hip-hop to me is just like the most exciting genre so i end up just listening to it the most yeah that's uh and that is a really fascinating thing to think about and we talked about that on the the podcast this summer in terms of like a a jay-z or hip-hop reaching an age where some of uh some of the greats are reaching a point where you know they've been surpassed and like radio relevancy yet still have the ability to make great art and what does that look like when you're at age 40 something as a rapper and so it's kind of a it's a fascinating genre um to watch from that perspective as well 
Um, I was going to ask you where Dissect goes next. You mentioned that uh, there's the possibility of kind of incorporating the actual artists themselves uh, into, you know, future work you do with Dissect. I mean, are you already thinking ahead about, you know, where the, what the next season might be or where it'll go? Yeah, I'm actually almost done with today. I'll be working on the last episode of Lauren Hill. So I'm quite up like ahead of that um, season. So yeah, I've definitely, I've been giving thought to the full season four coming up. Um, haven't decided on who that is yet, but it's definitely, we're definitely prioritizing artist participation. So it'll likely, yeah. you know, hopefully we pitch, you know, a few artists and whatever one is willing to be on the show is the one that we'll go with just to, you know, we've never had that. So um, that's something I'm really interested in seeing where that could take the show, you know, content wise and also get, you know, some buzz about having original content from hopefully a big act. So that's kind of the priority yeah. right now. How did it feel knowing that Frank Ocean had heard of Dissect and knew that you were dissecting his album? I saw that early on in the season. I like that's got to be extremely intimidating and also incredibly awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's one of the things I really just try not to think about too hard cuz sure. I try to just stay in my bubble and I always try to approach these things as if they happened 100 years ago. Uh-huh. That way I kind of have this like historical look on contemporary works, but it's definitely, it was really cool. Definitely. Um, that he had listened and, um, knows about the show and didn't, he had, I fixed one thing based on his feedback. I pronounced his given last name wrong. So I had to, uh-huh, okay. I had to make that change. But other than that, like it was a green light from their team. So that felt really good, um, yeah. that they didn't want to change a whole bunch of stuff. So, um, that was all the kind of validation I needed to just put my head down and continue on. But um, yeah, it's cool just to know that the show's growing and you know it's becoming known in some circles. So it's yeah, it's definitely cool. Yeah, and so the last thing, uh, you know, obviously your audience is continuing to explode, and I, you know, you always engage really well on social media. Have you gotten a feel from like a? You mentioned Frank Ocean was like the big artist everybody was kind of talking about as you were finishing up uh, season two with Kanye. Has there been any like big, you know, social media rally around a, a particular artist or direction or anything? Yeah, there, um, I would say there's probably like four or five that definitely keep coming up. Um, Childish Gambino is always a one that gets suggested oh, yeah. a lot. Tyler, the creator, is one that gets suggested a lot. Uh, Boney Vare, outside of hip hop, gets mm-hmm. suggested quite a bit. Outcast is one. Yeah. Um, a lot of people want me to return to Kendrick and Damn, um, which mm-hmm. I would love to do at some point. And. Um, Beyonce's Lemonade, I would love to do. I would do that in a heartbeat, but it's not on Spotify, unfortunately, yet. Oh, so yeah. The moment she puts it on Spotify, if she ever does, <laughs> that's going to be the next season yeah. of Dissect. But until that day happens, I, it yeah. really makes sense for me to do that. Very cool. Well, Cole, this has been a great conversation once again. Um, I encourage everybody listening to this. If you're not already listening to Dissect and you listen to our podcast, like, Dissect is way better, and uh, it's really good if you love music, if you like to think about the things that you're listening to, um, be aware in the moment. Um, and that's really one of the things that's always attracted me to music is the, the ways it can be a part of your life when it, when it's just you and the music. And Dissect does a great job of kind of connecting all of that and, and making sense of what we're hearing and helping contextualize it and tell the story. So um, check it out. Again, Cole, thank you for taking time today to chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, man. That's great.
Um, that'll do it for this episode of It's All Dead. You can find us at all of the places that you find your podcasts. Uh, if you go to iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Um, but for now, that will do it for this episode of It's All Dead, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.